A Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, episode 148. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, psychologist and adaptability coach to entrepreneurs and business leaders. I believe that working on your business is more important than working in your business. If you want to achieve your business goals and dreams without the cost and pain of having to make every mistake yourself, then The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is the podcast for you. I'm here to help you learn from the lessons of entrepreneurs and business leaders to help you work on yourself and your business so that you can save time, energy, and grow faster. For those of you new to the show, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai presents three new episodes each week. On Insight Sunday, we dive into the minds of business leaders through insightful guest interviews. On Story Tuesday, we dig deeper with them and learn firsthand from their stories, hard-earned lessons, and experience. On Thrive Thursday, it's just you and me on the couch, where you'll hear scientific research, my thoughts, and tangible tactics to adapt and grow yourself and your business. Grab a proverbial seat and listen up so you can learn from the minds and mistakes of business leaders and apply their wisdom to your life and business. For those of you who don't know, Paul Chambers is a serial entrepreneur since fifth grade, CEO of Core 3 Solutions, CEO and founder of Element 5 Digital, co-founder of The Rocket Effect, co-founder of The Subscription Summit, and co-founder and CEO of The Subscription Trade Association. From launching a SaaS company at SXSW to building one of the biggest brands in the subscription box economy, Paul has a handle on every aspect of a subscription-focused business and exactly how they succeed or fail. For over 20 years, Paul has built, scaled, and sold multiple subscription-focused businesses and today runs the largest conference and trade group focused on the DTC subscription space and has been recognized by national and international publications and media outlets. Paul's passion for helping others is a central part of his character. Whether he's serving his community as an around-the-clock volunteer firefighter or carving out time, intention, and presence with his wonderful wife, twin daughters, and two sons. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a seven-plus-figure business and want to reach the next level for yourself and your business, if you have passions, goals, and dreams, and want to continue to strive as a team, a leader, and a visionary without risking burnout, if you have overcome challenges, developed wisdom, and know that adapting is not just for surviving, but a core part of thriving, then adaptability coaching is for you. With psychology and neuroscience-backed tools, the 3D adaptation framework can show you how to tap into and harness the way our brains are uniquely designed for adaptation. You can learn to harness and leverage adaptability tools and frameworks to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn to hone yourself further, to proactively adapt, to thrive, instead of reactively adapting, just to survive. 
To learn more, go to dryeshide.com slash coaching. My Inside Sunday conversation with Paul Chambers was so packed that I just had to share it with you in its entirety, which means giving it to you in two parts. In part one, Paul shares experiences across his lifetime that contributed to becoming a successful serial entrepreneur and his mission to shape the world. He talks about his father and grandfather, values he learned about family, growth, and business that have shaped his mission and impact on the business world through Subta and SubSummit. And now, without further ado, join me in welcoming Paul Chambers. Welcome, Paul. Dr. Yusha, thank you so much for having me. That uh, intro you gave was uh, certainly, I'd say, overwhelming and humbling. And the only thing I'll adjust to it is I refer to it as the world's most amazing wife because she does ah. put up with all those various different things. So that's the only edit I'd make to it. I think we're in good shape. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for grabbing a seat with me. I'm so excited to have you on the business couch today. And I'm really excited to dive into our Insights Sunday conversation, where we really kind of dig into the minds of entrepreneurs and business leaders to uncover insights into how your mind works and then extract tangible takeaways for everybody so that we can all learn and implement it. But I really just wanted to start with your journey. Can you share a little bit about your process? What really led you to becoming a serial entrepreneur? And I mean, I usually pick one or two things to kind of talk about as far as, you know, founding CEO, you've got a list of five or six of them. So (laughs) it's kind of hard to pick. Yeah. And I was going to digging into the minds of entrepreneur can sometimes be a dangerous thing, you know, and it was funny. I forget what I was I was talking with one of our content marketers earlier and she was interviewing me for a piece we're putting together for Forbes. And as we were talking through some things, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's actually a really good business idea. Man, I really want to do that. We should do that. And then I was like, I don't have time. I don't have time for that. I have to stay focused on what we're doing, but somebody needs to do it. I need to find somebody to do this because it's a great idea. I have what I call entrepreneur never satisfied syndrome. Mm. and you know, the best example I always give of that was quick background to lead up to this. Actually, I started at a young age when my grandfather would walk me through Sam's club and we'd look at the candies, candy bars that were there. And he would say, this box of candy bars you buy for $10, there's 10 of them in there. So they cost you a dollar a piece. They could sell for $2. So you would make a dollar profit on it. And so we go along and eventually we got to like these two things, airheads and tongue splashers. They're kind of like the airheads are still around. My kids love them. Still very popular. And he taught me at that point too the art of the upsell. He goes, look, you're going to pay a nickel for these. Uh, you sell them for 15 cents a piece. He goes, what you could do, you take them, you rubber band two of them together, you sell them two for a quarter or 15 cents a piece. And he taught me the art of the upsell really early. And I didn't mm-hmm. realize it at the time, but to me, it's just, oh, wow. you know, Because his mentality, his rationality was... Kids always have quarters in their pocket if they're buying milk for a quarter at the school because he ran a food and vending company that he knew what schools were charging for milks and things like that. Mm-hmm. So he knew they'd have 75 cents in their pocket and they would want to buy three of those together. So I didn't really realize he was teaching me the art of the upsell in the process, but that's what it ended up being. So my first venture into business started in fifth grade. I sold sour balls. We'd go get them in bulk at the bulk candy store. 
I sold them until I got in trouble with the principal, called me down to the principal's office. He said, Paul, you can't, you can't sell candy at school. I'm like, okay, fine. Did it again. Came down, called out of the principal's office again. He's like, Paul, you really can't sell candy at school because I can't let all the kids sell candy. It's just not how school is. So I waited until middle school, a different principal, and then got in trouble with him again and then continued on from there. And my first real business that, you know, outside of selling candy was I tried to start an internet service provider in high school. This was back when dial-up was... AOL was starting to come out, but dial-up was still like various different dial-up providers were out there. And I wanted to do this business. So my grandfather said, look, if you figure out how to do it, write the business plan, I'll fund you, but put a pro forma together. So I figured out all the equipment I needed, called all these local computer shops, did some research as best I could with my 28K dial-up internet connection. And I bought all this equipment. He loaned me $10,000 to start doing this. And I absolutely failed. I failed miserably at it. I had no idea what I was doing. I had this ISDN connection coming into my parents' house. It wasn't enough bandwidth. It just, I was sold a bunch of equipment that was the wrong stuff. And so mm-hmm. that actually led me getting into website development because I had all this equipment. I had a loan from my grandfather that I was committed to paying back. And I started building websites from there. And I used that equipment to build websites, what is today Element 5 Digital. So that's when I started that company and built it up while I was in college at Michigan State and continued to it today. And so coming back to entrepreneur never satisfied syndrome, I would always say to myself when I was in college, I'm going to feel like this is a real business when I've got an office door with our company name on it. Like That's going to feel real to me. Then, then I'll know I've made it. Graduated from Michigan State, got our first office space. I was like, you know... I'm going to feel like we've made it when I've got our sign on the building, when our company name's on the building, because you know the sign on the door wasn't enough. Moved to office spaces, big 10,000 square foot building, sign on the building. I'm like, you know, I'm going to feel like I've made it when we've got a high rise with our name on the building. And so mm. I realized at that moment, it was like, no matter what I do, I'm still going to be pushing for more. I'm still going to be pushing for how can I be really fully satisfied? And and over time, I've realized that this disease that I have is really, it's a blessing and sometimes a curse, but I'm always pushing to find a way to do it better, try and find the next thing. That's what's helped lead me to success, but also allowed me to push through failure Hmm. because realizing that along the way, in order to reach that level of satisfaction, in order to continue to get there, it's okay to fail and it's going to happen. I've certainly had my fair share of failures in there as well. Yeah. I'm hearing a couple of things I really want to dig into. And I think it's so beautiful. And I really appreciate one that you shared the story of getting, I would say an education, but it wasn't just an education. It was a learning process with your first businesses, with your grandfather kind of walking you through Costco and sharing with you what he'd learned and helping you develop this process, this thought process, the mindset of consider what the cost is and what you can get out of it. And then how you can choose to grow that and also pay attention to what are the resources that people around you have. So if you're selling to kids, right, that quarter is such a significant, it's such a significant amount. It's a significant way of understanding the resources and what they have, and then using that as a way to upsell. And I'm also hearing that one thing that you kind of developed, and I'm really curious to hear more about how you think it developed, is this entrepreneur never satisfied syndrome where the bar just keeps kind of skipping up and up and up. It's kind of like adding more and more weight yeah. at the gym, right? It is. Yeah, it is. And like I said, the pros and cons to that, right? 
I talk with my wife about this a lot. We've got four kids, four beautiful kids. And like I said earlier, the world's most amazing wife. And we first started dating. We met, you know, 19 years ago now, you know, it was our first or second date. And I said to her, I just want you to understand I'm an entrepreneur. I'm always going to be this way. That's never going to change. I'm always going to be working hard and, you know, sometimes long hours. Our family will matter to me, but I can't fight this passion inside of me. That's always going to be there. Hmm. She said, okay, five years, either I'm down the aisle or out the door. And that was her ultimatum to me, you know, and we, I proposed to her five years and three months just because I wanted to see what would happen, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but are you you pushing that bar just a little bit? Always just pushing a little bit to see what happens. Mm -hmm. It was winter and it wasn't the right time to propose, you know, so Mm -hmm. (laughs) we proposed the right time. But so my wife and I are always having these conversations because family's equally important to me. I had a father who wasn't in my life a tremendous amount, but I was so lucky to have my grandfather and my stepfather came in as I was a little bit older. But my father was an entrepreneur himself and he worked a ton. He came from Greece when he was 18 with $100 in his pocket, didn't speak any English and built a multi-million dollar medical practice around hair restoration, became the leading guy in hair restoration doing hair transplants was on Oprah and Donahue and Geraldo back in the day. Mm-hmm. But we never saw him. He's never there for his family. Mm-hmm. And so when we had kids, it was really important to me to be there for my children. But I also have this other little thing kind of tugging at me, which is that I always want more and to do better. And so my wife asked a question like, where does it stop? When do we have enough money or when do we have enough success? You know, so it's always a conversation. And I feel like sometimes the bar is like, well, we've got two daughters. We're going to have to pay for two weddings someday. And now we have, you know, four kids that are going to be going through college. So we have to, you know, raise that bar. And, but on the flip side of it, the other part of me realizes like those kids are going to grow up so fast and they already are. My twin girls are already 10 years old. So we're already halfway through the time they're going to spend with us in our household before, you know, they move on to college or careers or wherever they go next. And I don't want to miss that. So now it's about kind of finding that balance between feeling satisfied enough, but also being present with my family and my wife and being there for that too. It's tough. Yeah. There's such a, an important piece of that I'm hearing. They're both really important values to you. They're both really meaningful to you and balancing it can be really challenging. At the same time, I'm also hearing that that comes from your experience growing up with a dad who was so focused and in a way overbalanced in one way, and he wasn't there as much for you. And for you, that meant that you were really lacking that. And that was really challenging. And at the same time, you had some really wonderful father figures, your grandfather, and then later on your stepfather who stepped in and stepped up. And that was really important and meaningful to you. And you learned through that. And you said, I don't want this unbalanced in that way. And at the same time, you recognize that you do get tugged by both of these. They're both incredibly important values to you. Yeah. And you know, my brother and I often, we talk about this a lot. We, you know, self-therapy through the two of us, but you know, for our father coming from Greece came from a big family, a very small town. I mean, the town had only 300 people and what he accomplished to him providing for his family was providing money and providing a place to live and food. And so to him, he was, you know, even though he wasn't present in our lives, wasn't watching our soccer games and our swim meets and things like that, 
to him, he is probably providing in that way. And that was sufficient. So, Mm. you know, there's some cultural things in there. There's some personal preference things. And so my brother and I, as we have children now, we're constantly just kind of talking through those things and what's important Mm -hmm. to us. And I think there's balance. And now what I'm finding too is really fun is I'm my girls are at the age where they're starting to pay attention to it. And so they're identical twins, two very different you know, human beings and two very different brains. Mm-hmm. One, Allie, she's happy-go-lucky, loves playing with dolls and having fun. And I would say like, Allie will run the nonprofit someday. Morgan, she listens. She hears the things I'm talking about. We were selling Gentleman's Box last year. I was telling the process to her and Allie too. But like Morgan was... You know, I'd say, oh, we're going through due diligence right now. And she'd say, well, what's, I don't know what due diligence means. And it's trying to understand it. And so now I'm finding fun ways to have conversations with them and incorporate them into lives around business and pulling them into these experiences too. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. What's it like to share those experiences with your daughters? Oh, it's a lot of fun. I want to make sure I'm doing it the right way. And same way my grandfather did for me asking questions, Mm -hmm. challenging them, helping them understand and making sure they're genuinely interested in it. Mm -hmm. Not something where I'm forcing it upon them. So I invite them to come in and do things and to help be part of things if they want to. I invite them, if I have to run to the office on a Saturday to grab something, do you want to come with me? And you know, they like adventure, but there's a balance in there too, where I want to make sure it's not something where I'm forcing a career on them. So I'm, I'm trying to constantly ask them, what do you want to do when you grow up? What are you inspired by? What do you love doing? What interests you? Mm-hmm. And trying to help keep the dialogue open. In addition to knowing that as they grow up to be women and young women, there will be specific challenges that right now exist for them that I'm hoping won't. You know, And so the other thing I look to is my role in shaping an industry and helping shape an industry. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we did last year during the pandemic, because we had a little bit more time on our hands because our event got canceled. We created a new event called Women in Subscription. And the event was designed to help highlight and celebrate and continue to accelerate the growth of women leadership in the subscription industry. This year in 21, it's a, we're not going to be able to do an in-person event yet. We're excited to bring that to be an in-person event in 2022. Mm-hmm. And so there's part of me that's helping kind of steward this world, this global economy for my girls as they continue to come into it. Yeah. It's so interesting. And what I'm hearing is that you are deeply driven in so many ways by family and thinking about your girls and their interest and the world they're stepping into. That really is a huge driver for you wanting to create a world that looks different for them than it does today for so many women. Yeah. As much as possible. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious to understand because this started with the entrepreneur never satisfied syndrome. (laughs) So you're sharing some of the challenges that come along with that, the way that it can pull at you. I'm curious. And then you also shared that it can really help you overcome failure. And I'm still really curious to understand where do you think the never satisfied part of it came from? For me, the never satisfied came from the desire to do more, to have more, to be more. And when I look at my career and where I want to go with it and in businesses that I've built, I've always focused around having an impact and being able to leave my dent in the universe. Because for me, I feel as though if I'm just going to be here and exist, it's not enough. 
I want to find ways to help shape the world and help leave things better than I found them. Mm-hmm. And my digital agency, one of the things is our slogan is crafting a better web. And we know that we can impact people's lives by if we can make websites better, if we can make brands better, if we can create better user experiences, it'll create happiness on the other end of the customers and long-term effects over there. But with Subta and you know the Subscription Trade Association and our conference Subsummit, there's an even bigger opportunity there to have a more far-reaching impact. And there's two big goals. I share these a lot because I believe if you put them out there, then you can manifest them to happen. There's two big things I want to accomplish. Number one, I want to have Elon Musk on our stage at Subsummit. I admire him greatly. I think he's a brilliant mind. And long-term, Tesla will be a subscription-focused business. So I'm excited to have him on our stage at Subsummit someday to talk about you know Tesla subscription and talk about that. That's a selfish goal. Number two, though, is desperately want to fix Comcast's customer care problem. Comcast is such a big company and impacts tens of thousands of people on a daily basis. Do you have Comcast or have you ever had to call into Comcast customer care? I've had some of my own issues. I don't know if they've specifically been with Comcast because I've had a lot of different providers across the years. Yeah. So whether it be them or a similar company like Comcast, a Time Warner, generally speaking with cable TV, the customer care experience is so bad. And what it boils down to is when your 12 or 24 month trial runs up and you have to call in because your bill doubled or tripled in price and you begin this like awkward negotiation against yourself and it's, you never feel good. You feel like a terrible person and it's just a bad experience. Mm-hmm. I believe with SubSummit and what we're doing with SubDev, we can get the right people in the room and we have that opportunity. We can help shape that and transform that experience to be a positive one and thus impact tens of thousands of lives out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really fun, special thing too. If we can do that, if we can help improve people's lives, that's what a great way to put it, your dent in the universe by making people happier, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So coming back to your question, like where, where is that rooted? It's, it's rooted in like that, that constant need for, you know, wanting to do more and wanting to help improve the world, make it a better Mm -hmm. place. I think that's why I admire Elon too, a lot, you know, like mm -hmm. he's on that same mission. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing something that I think is so fascinating where the first lens, I'm going to use a camera, kind of a camera reference. The first lens was a little bit more self-focused. It was like, okay, how do I grow this business to support myself, my family, right? And that lens grew with family. And so that's where the bar kind of moved up. And Mm -hmm. it reminds me of the questions that you said that you and your wife have talked about, like, okay, how much and at what point? And then that lens shifted. It went from self to family. And then from family, it went to a bigger community and to the world. And now it's not just about shaping or creating a result or outcome for just yourself or your family. Now it's about creating something that shifts the industry, that shifts more people's experience outside of yourself. And so much of the time that comes from various pain points. You mentioned Comcast. I had something that happened. So there was a, I think it was in August of last year, as we were all in lockdown and I'm working from home, there was this horrible storm that like took out our internet service. And I'm, a licensed psychologist and I was working from home and my patients still needed me. And the question is, well, what do I do? Right. And the company was not responding and I called them and they were putting me on like three, four, five hour holds. And they were saying, oh, it'll be fixed in two hours. And then 
two and a half hours later. I'm calling them and I'm on hold for two hours. And Oh, it'll be fixed within eight hours. Okay. Eight hours of now or eight hours of when it started, because I have patients to see and I need to figure out what I'm doing. Right. And I ended up actually spending six days of conducting therapy on a tiny little phone, trying to make sure that it's secure enough. Cause I obviously it needs to be secure. Right. So I had to make sure it was secure in, in all of that having to do therapy from a tiny little phone and getting what was just a miserable response and reaction, often none whatsoever, no communication, no indication. Right. And six days in, I was like, I'm done. I'm switching providers. Right. And that was a mess. In fact, (laughs) I didn't find out until I tried to cancel that in order to Mm -hmm. cancel, I had to speak to their sales department who tried to sell me. I was like, I can't do this online. And then this also drove me a little nuts. When I told the sales rep, I'm interested in canceling. And they said, can you tell me why? And I said, no, I'm not interested in answering that question. I'm just interested in canceling. Yeah. And they said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And click and hung up on me after I was on wait for 45 minutes. Unbelievable. See, this is yes. why we need to fix this. I know. <laughs> this That's is... why I'm telling you this story. Oh, no. Right? And, and everybody has the same story, which is mm. mind-blowing to me. And here's the thing. It can easily be excused because there's such a big company or mm. there's so many moving pieces. But I call BS on that because some of the biggest companies in the world still figure this out. Delta Airlines, great customer service. They've got to figure it out. DTE, in our region here, the electrical provider is Detroit Edison, Old Edison. DTE has phenomenal customer service and a great experience. And this is something where they could be like, you know what? You'll get power when we get it to you, okay? I'm sorry, there's nobody else to work on these power lines Mm -hmm. other than us. But they don't do that. They have an app. They'll call you when your power goes out and let you know. They'll Mm -hmm. give you an estimated repair time. They tell you when it's going to come online and they apologize for it. Mm. We're so sorry about this. And sure, they're regulated by the government because they're a utility, but they could also do the bare minimum. They go well above and beyond Mm -hmm. that. So that gives me hope that it's possible that a big company, if the electricity company can make it a great experience, I'm sure the freaking cable internet provider, cable TV provider can figure it out too. So this is the mission. We will fix it. What a mission. What a mission. And I love that. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today on The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more people like you the ability to learn and grow. You can also click the share button to share today's episode directly with someone you know who would enjoy it. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast artwork is made by Sam Barkadari, show notes by Yishai Barkadari, and music by www.purple-planet.com. The advice and opinions of the host and guests are our own. I'm a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with either the guest or the listener. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, our thoughts and reactions affect our actions. By listening, we can learn from the challenges others face and the choices they make so that we can make better decisions and get better results. 